season three of lost finally and uh so with the season premiere of a tale of two cities this is probably and i mentioned right before we started recording that i really like the cut co- the box cover for this dvd set for season three and uh i season three is one of those intriguing kind of a pivot seasons and uh and 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 i really can't wait to dig all the way into this season but we're not talking about the whole thing we're talking about just the first episode of tale of two cities and i am mike and i have two people here with me that are going to introduce themselves and when they introduce themselves they're going to tell me whether or not they like ketchup on their eggs so steven how are you and what do you like to put on your eggs do you like ketchup I I am not a ketchup on my eggs guy. I am not a ketchup guy nor an egg guy. So uh, Ooh. yeah, I, I I think Ben may have been serving some bacon at breakfast, so I'd have been all right. But I would have passed on the eggs. I was deeply appalled at the fact that he only took a bite of that bacon and one bite <laughs> of the eggs, and then got up and left. I was very <laughs> upset that he left all that food <laughs> on the beach. Ah, uh, but. Another person who is going to tell me if they like ketchup on their eggs or if they like anything on their eggs, or in Steven's case, if they don't like eggs at all. Corey, how are you? Hey, guys. I'm doing well. You know, I'm just going to say I like eggs on my ketchup, actually. <laughs> no, yeah, I like I like a little bit of ketchup on eggs in most – I like eggs in almost every form. And a little ketchup, maybe a little hot sauce on there as well. I can't go wrong with that. So do you do, do you like make like a a pile of ketchup and then dip your eggs in it or do you put the ketchup <laughs> on your eggs? I disperse. I use a squeeze bottle and just disperse it evenly across the eggs. You know, there's oh. no ketchup shortage. So Steve was <laughs> like, I could just care less. <laughs> I will say I was also upset. I don't think Kate really stays around. You know, she seems like I'm. You know, I'm over this breakfast. Uh, just a classic movie or tv trope that there's a nice breakfast and the characters just let it go to waste very annoying i can't can't believe that mess i can't believe it hey but if you want to talk more to us you can always join our discord uh so check that out retrozap.com you if you want to find us on twitter you can find the main show at retrozapped um our podcast is at lost rewatch pod i'm at the dc mike steven you're where on twitter i am at lucky 13 steve and Corey, what about you? Yeah, I am at Original Mav. All right. And on Instagram, we're previously on Lost Podcasts, and we are on Facebook.com slash previously on Lost. We've changed some things up a little bit in this uh, in this podcast. So we're going to kind of give you some stuff at the beginning. Uh, but what we're going to do is when we start talking about the episode itself, we're going to – season three is very unique. Season three tends to have a bunch of different storylines going on at one time. With different characters, we had different groups doing different things. Um, so instead of just kind of throwing all our thoughts out there, 
we're going to separate it by kind of the different stories and the different time, different uh, um, settings and 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 whatnot. And we're going to talk about one at a time. So keep that in mind when we discuss this show. So a tale of two cities. Stephen, why don't you tell us how many long we've been on the island and what happened last time on Lost? All right. We have been on the island for 68 days. And previously on Lost, we see Tom and the survivors meet at the line and proclaim that they own the island. As Locke narrates his list of the other's attacks, a hand covers Claire's face, Ethan fights Jack, Zack and Emma get kidnapped, Charlie is hung by a tree, and Jack, Kate, Sawyer, and Hurley fall victim to the electrical darts of the others. And then as... Uh, Lucia narrates her experience of the others' attacks. The others march to kidnap four along the dock. Hoods drop on their head. Boom. And now we start the show. All right. This was season three, episode one. This premiered October 4th, 2006. It was directed – the season finale of season two was directed by Jack Bender. This – Episode for season three, episode one, season premiere, was directed by Jack Bender. It was written by Damon Lindelof and not Carlton Cuse, but Damon Lindelof and J.J. Abrams wrote this premiere. That's interesting. It really was. I didn't remember that. that. Yep. It has a little bit of J.J. I can sense it has a little bit of J.J. Abrams kind of a, a flair to it. So uh, in this episode, Jack, Kate, and Sawyer find themselves in unusual locations after being kidnapped by the others who reveal themselves to be much more sophisticated than anyone could have previously guessed. Yep, and with that note we had on J.J. Abrams, uh, I have an episode fact here about that as well. This was the first episode that J.J. Abrams was directly involved in since the show's first season. Yeah, I didn't know that he did this, and I find it very interesting, and I would like to know more about that, too. It's uh, cool that he came back and did a little bit more. Um, yeah. I- if I recall, was did he kind of came he, he came up with the idea with Damon, right? They kind of worked together to come up with the idea for the show. And then he really stepped back. If I recall, it was to work on Star Trek. Yes. Yeah. I think that was what he was working on to where he couldn't. So it's kind of interesting that this was the first time he's been involved since the first season. Um, yeah. And, and I always heard the story that he came up with the whole premise. They were working on this idea of that, it was kind of a combination of different genres and, and other shows that were they thought would be popular. And then he basically walked away after, you know, he was basically had, had written out or, um, you know, blocked out a part of the first season, but not even the whole first season. But so I, I'm looking he while he was working on Lost for a few episodes of Lost, um he was also executive producer on Alias during the time. Um, what about Brian? He produced Cloverfield during this. Not 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 right now, but in a couple years from now, he would have produced Cloverfield. But really, the show Alias was taking up a lot of his time, as well as What About Brian? And Mission um, Impossible 3 as well. That was 
Uh, I, think, I think that one was a little later on too. But. No, he he wasn't involved in Mission Impossible Three. He was involved in Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol in 2011. Abrams, I thought he directed uh, Mission Impossible Three. Um. Sure. Yes, he did. I'm sorry. Yeah. So Mission, thank you. Mission Impossible <laughs> Three. Um, he was involved in that as well. So he um he he's he's he hasn't had a ton, but he was really busy during that time. So I can understand why he kind of jumped out for a little bit. He had a lot going on too. Yeah. So I, I, I've always thought Abrams deserves the credit for coming up with the original idea. And then, you know, all the other fantastic writers and and then uh, Carlton Cuse and Damon Lindelof, they deserve a lot of the credit uh, for basically doing the rest of the show. So yeah, I, I actually found it here. It, lo- it looks like he just, he, he considered coming back and being more involved for the rest of the series, but he ended up just doing the writing or co-writing this one episode. Right. I mean, probably a good idea. I think it would be weird. Abrams, of course, is like really smart and would have really creative. But sometimes you might have like too many cooks in the kitchen. You have two showrunners who've taken over. And now the original creator comes back. That would be, I don't know, that might be difficult. But yeah. Anyways, uh, of course, probably helped come up with some good ideas that help with season three. We have one more episode fact. Uh, Michael Emerson, who plays Ben Linus in... Uh, <clears throat> well, in, in season two, known as Henry Gale, was originally contracted to appear in just three episodes, but the producers were so impressed that they uh, contracted him to do a further five episodes, making a total of eight. And then season three, which we're on now, he is a regular cast member. And you can kind of tell immediately, like, yeah. the way he's just involved in a, in in this episode uh, throughout that he's a regular cast member now, just the way he's portrayed. And the credits, yeah. <laughs> yeah. He uh, he was he was man, when we see him in this episode, I'm gonna tell you something. He um Yeah. <laughs> ben Ben Line uh, Michael Emerson in this episode was absolutely phenomenal. Um there were so many different things that were going on in his mind and the way he was controlling. Of course we'll get in all that here in a little bit, but um but I think they saw what they had, and I wonder what the show would have been like if they had just let him go and not brought him on anymore. It, it would have been boring, is what it, probably it would have, because <laughs> he has such a very influential part in like the entire the the the, the entire episode. I mean, well, the, the entire the, show. The majority of the first half of the season is all built around different mind games he plays with all these different characters. And they start by playing mind games with, I mean, more Kate and Jack this episode than Sawyer. Sawyer's going to get his fair share later on. But do you guys want to just get right into it? I don't know where you guys want to start on this, but do you guys want to just talk about the the, the cold open? Because I think that should be discussed maybe, uh, you know, on its own. Because it's kind of a, it's basically a standalone mini. It's like when you have like a short film at the beginning of a Pixar uh, movie, yeah. right? It's like its own little thing. <laughs> we get Juliet introduced. I think this is one of the coolest opens to any season because you're like a fish out of water. You don't know where this is, what continent is it on, like what, uh, who are these people? We've ne- we don't recognize any of them until they say something about Ben, or do they just say him? But then you you figure you you figure it out that you're. 
I mean, a, a right. keen eye could tell that you're on the island. Yeah, I mean, they kind of they kind of play some little games with you where you know they stop Juliet right before you know she says, "Isn't there?" You know, I thought there was still free will on this, and before she can say "island," you know, the the ground starts shaking. So they kind of you know play with you a little bit to to make you wonder where they are before revealing it. Um, this. It, Go ahead. Yeah, I was gonna say it's it's a good opening after coming um, after season two's opening, you know, with the music um, in the beginning with with Desmond um, and his little montage. You kind of have a montage here with Juliet, so it's two seasons in a row that it's a new character, and there's like they start by playing a song and they're going about this routine, and then the routine gets upended both times by the survivors. <laughs> Yeah, I, I I like this cold open because it gives a little bit of backstory on Juliet. We of course we don't know how she got on the island, anything like that. But what we do learn is that she's you could definitely tell she's struggling with something. She's already feels broken in their camp. We don't obviously we don't know why we don't yet, but you know we'll find out. But you could tell she's it's interesting because we don't we know nothing about this girl, but yet we're supposed to. What does it say? Care about this person, even though we've never seen her. But we're supposed to feel something for her when we see her crying. We don't know why she's crying. Well, um, I, go ahead. It, obviously, this is you know it kind of is like the season two finale, you know, or or the season two opener, where you get that the open on the eye. You know, we we've now had three seasons in a row where they open on an eye. Each time it's a character we haven't met yet. You know, obviously. Jack the first season and then Desmond who we hadn't seen and now we get another new character I mean I remember when watching this recognizing her you know she hasn't been on the show but Elizabeth Mitchell the actress um you know was pretty established at this point I she played you know Mrs. Santa Claus and all the Santa Claus movies and like you so to me I remember watching it and like recognizing her and trying to put like who like where do I know her from? What well, you know? What's going on here? Um, obviously, she does a great job acting. You know, without words, just kind of <laughs> yeah. putting it, putting the CD in, and you can see her just like gaining her. You know, trying to gain her composure, and then kind of losing it when her her muffins burn. Uh, it's just, I mean, she does a, a lot before even talking in this episode uh, to really make you understand this character. And it, it does also kind of just immediately set up that there's some kind of tension here between her and him or Ben, you know, on the island. And, you know, obviously, the we get into the great line of, you know, I guess I'm out of the book club. But it kind of immediately sets these two characters, you know, in somewhat of opposition, you know, having no idea where it's, you know, would end up going. But I, I, I think this open was you know one of the best you know best best things we get yeah and, and visually it's stunning i mean seeing the plane break in half like that that's one of the coolest uh you know special effects moments we've had on the show so far it looks amazing and maybe they didn't have they weren't going to do that uh in season one but it's cool that now years later we get another angle of the crash because we didn't really ever have this type of angle. 
it was really cool angle of the crash. Like you actually, it was really cool to see it, you know, pull apart in air. And the the only thing I will say that I'm, I'm not too fond, I don't understand, is that Ben looks at what was it, Ethan, and says that one one plane hit the North Shore. You can be there if you're an hour if you run. When when the when the <laughs> When the uh, when when the camera zooms out of the island, you look at the smoke where it's billowing out on the <laughs> island, and I'm like, there is no way that guy running full sprint over hills and mountains can make it to that plane site in one hour. There is no way possible. <laughs> I I, I kind of had a similar. That just me. No, no, I kind of had a similar uh, reaction too, because I remember vividly the scene where it kind of just kept zooming out. And you realize where they were. And, you know, you. I remember being focused on this little community and seeing the island. But I kind of forgot that you actually see the smoke from the plane. And I was kind of surprised at how far away it was from these two crashes, from these two sites. Because, I mean, we spend a lot of time in, in New Otherton here. Um, and it didn't seem like it was that far away from, you know, the beach. But here in this in this view, it definitely seemed like a long way away. Yeah. Um, well, well, in regards to our buddy Ethan, the thing is, there was originally going, going to be an Ethan centric episode, and there was going to be a flashback that explained his cross country uh, rec- record setting <laughs> um, past, where he was a track champion. So that would have explained that, but. Uh, yeah, I think it was – I can't remember what season it was going to be, but they cut that. So, but, but really what we don't know is there is a secret Dharma subway tunnel underneath <laughs> the island that they that they take this train all the way across the island. That's really what happens. Well, no, it's actually like another pneumatic tube situation, except it's just a really big tube that like one person can fit inside of like – Futurama get in sideways. <laughs> so, okay, the most important question here though is we have to settle this. Does Ben Linus like Stephen King or not? It's very confusing <laughs> if you're uh, if you're paying close attention as a Lost fan because in this, well, let's just say in season two when he is a prisoner, you know, posing as Henry Gale, he asks Locke if he has any Stephen King. He doesn't want the Dostoevsky because you know he wants something maybe a little more digestible. And here apparently. In this flashback, Ben is so annoyed by this book choice, such a lowbrow book, Carrie, Stephen <laughs> King's first book, uh, that he doesn't even want to you know, participate. So, But he's the one who picked it. Yeah. No, Juliet picked it. She's the she's the host. No, no, she did. She she didn't pick it because the guy in the middle of the book club said the, the guy who picked the book not even here. No, no, that's not. No, I think, I, th- so. I think she said she said she said that the the host picks the book. So I think Juliet picked the book because that's her favorite. But the, Ben doesn't come because he doesn't like that, the book. Yeah. Okay, that's what it was. For for some reason it threw me off. I'm like, so this whole time, my entire lost career, I've thought Ben picked the book, and it, and he didn't even show up for the book club. Okay. I, I, no, he. It's like I his book club, but. He didn't come because he doesn't. He didn't want to read Carrie, is what I understood it as. See, I, I didn't take it that way at all. I actually took it that he wasn't invited. That this other guy, that the real annoying guy, you know, said, <laughs> you know, that 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 bit, you know, that that 
he wouldn't, you know, wouldn't approve of the book. But but to me, I got the impression that, you know, he didn't even get invited or told told about it. So that was kind of how I took it. Yeah, either way, again, I, I've always thought that Ben picked the book. So this is uh, I appreciate it. I have two two on one now. <laughs> OK, but <laughs> but OK, the, the point I wanted to 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 note there is that they clearly say that they don't like Stephen King and that they make a point that he wouldn't approve of this book as the choice for the book. It's not, you know, sophisticated enough or whatever. It's Carrie, which uh, Stephen King famously thought was so bad that he threw it in the trash and then his wife took it out and it ended up becoming this big hit. Great book. But uh, in the flashback, you know, he, so, okay, I'll just tell you my theory here. As Henry Gale, he wanted to pretend pretend that he was a big Stephen King fan. He's trying to make himself a little more approachable. The real Ben was like, really, Carrie, this book, you know, this is no good. <laughs> I, I, I like that theory. My theory is that he really did like Stephen King, but maybe he didn't like this work of Stephen King. So, for example, you know, I, I'm a reader. There's a lot of people I like to read behind, but there's certain authors I read behind that they've put out a book that's like, you know what? I've read it because the writer because he wrote it, but I'll never read that book again. And and maybe it's just one of those things that he likes Stephen King, but he just he felt like this one was not very deep like the other Stephen King novels usually are. And yeah, well, and he didn't like it. Well, here's here's the the, the line here. The guy says Ben wouldn't even read it. In the uh, he, Ben Ben wouldn't read it even in the bathroom. <laughs> Pretty insulting <laughs> so, if you want to read a book in the bathroom. So so here's another thought. We know that Ben kind of you know has some romantic interest in Juliet, even if it's not reciprocated. Do you think he was possibly so hurt by not being included in this book club? meeting he saw that it was at her house so he knew that that she had picked that book so maybe as he's stuck in the armory with the other you know with our survivors maybe he's really thinking about Juliet and's like well while I'm here I might as well read some of those books that she likes so I can you know maybe get invited back to the book club or have something to talk to her about when I get back No, yeah, I don't know. No. I don't know. I think I'm lost on this one. I think I, it's might actually be, might be str- might be stretching. I think uh, I don't know. I think it's as simple as he doesn't like the book, but <laughs> could <laughs> but be. The the other note here is Goodwin makes a, a stealth appearance working on the plumbing under the house, and so they're uh, setting up the whole Ethan. romance there. That was Ethan. Right? Was that Ethan? Was it? Oh no! No, I think it's Ethan was. No, Ethan's the one who we see his feet sticking out that they tease us about, because then we see him crawl out from under there when they all come running outside. So he calls Goodwin over and he sends Goodwin away, as well as Ethan. But it's actually Ethan whose feet are hanging out that they kind of tease us with. Maybe we it should just be. rewatch the episode. Uh, who knew there would be such a variety of interpretations of this scene? <laughs> I, I am almost positive that we see him pop out of that 
you know, area there that he that it was Ethan who was working on that. Well, regardless, I think at least the way I perceive perceive it now is that it's Juliet has all these issues that have to be worked on all the time because she's covering up her affair with okay. with Goodwin so that the, her projects never get completed. Whether it is actually it's, Ethan now working on it or Goodwin, it doesn't. It's uh, Ethan. Yeah, I think it sounds it like Ethan. Stephen's Stephen right. One. Look at that. But the the greater point of her uh, all the stuff that she has that's supposedly broken about her house will continue later on. Um, but what should we move on to a different section? Well, I, I I got one 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 more question on the on this scene because I really do think that this scene was one of the more inter- was you know the probably the most interesting part of this um, premiere is. The fact that Juliet liked the book Carrie so much, and you know, I can't say I've read Carrie. I mean, I knew I kind of knew the the basic of you know what it's about this you know girl being bullied and you know having powers to you know take revenge. And I thought it was kind of interesting that this was Juliet's favorite book, and you know, so I kind of read up a little bit on it. I don't know what you guys think, but. I guess my take would be maybe she she just really hated her situation and she wishes she had the ability to, you know, exact some revenge. And maybe that's why she liked this book. I don't know. Anybody else know any more about Carrie than I do? <laughs> I don't. Well, well, Carrie is like bullied and she has a hard life and, you know, it's kind of an abusive situation and she develops all these powers and then, you know, it gets revenge. I get prom or whatever. And that's the, the short, uh, short and long of it, I guess. But basically, I mean, I haven't read it since I was in high school or middle school. Maybe I don't remember exactly, but basically Julia is Carrie and she, because we're later going to figure out the basic, you know, mentally or whatever emotionally abusive relationship she has with Ben where he has basically forced her to stay there and yeah. he's trying to coerce her into a romantic relationship too. So it's not quite the same, but she's like the Carrie and she wants to explode with uh, fury, <laughs> which she eventually, you know, she will. Juliet kicks some butt in this series. She, she's pretty well suited as an action hero. <laughs> so we'll see some, uh, some venting and some some revenge eventually. I will say that Juliet is absolutely one of my favorite characters in the show. I'm so glad we were filing a season three and we get Juliet. She is she is right up there in my top three for characters. I, I don't know. We're just something about the way Elizabeth Mitchell, her facial expressions and her 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 the the, the way she says things, the way she interprets the scene. She's just absolutely a, a phenomenal actor in this show and yeah, I, love, I, think, I love juliet on this show i think i think she really grows on people because she does a good job of being very untrustworthy like i did not like her didn't trust her borderline hated her her first you know big chunk of the season because you think that she's basically just like the female ben like she shows some compassion like to me i always thought She's just just as deceptive as Ben. She just has a different approach. She shows a little compassion and then will, you know, stab you in the back. 
I, you know, I I was against her all the way up until they finally, basically, till the finale, they reveal no, she really is on the <laughs> survivor's side. <laughs> Spoiler alert. Yeah. So she so. she does a good job of keeping us um, out of the know, confused about her. Do you guys want to talk about Jack and Juliet on the island since we're already kind of in that vein? I mean, yeah, we can. The only other thing I had left about Juliet's flashbacks was the fact that Ben, we could see, is also, and we'll see this more, he's very manipulative and very controlling. And obviously we're going to see this even deeper as season three progresses. Um, But while we are talking about Juliet, yeah, I agree. Let's go and talk about Jack, Jack, and Juliet. And then we'll come back and talk about Jack's flashbacks. Um, what 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 did you what did you guys think of this setup? I I love this setting right away. I mean, first of all, just what not really a note on on that scene, but if there's any location I would want to visit, it would have to be the New Otherton, you know, barracks and stuff. That it's just such a, a cool spot. And this premiere episode, one of the things it does really well is give us a bunch of cool really interesting locations right off the bat like because they're taking all of all of the viewers and they're kind of making us uncomfortable by not giving us the normal lost setting we don't even go to the beach once in this episode so these new settings need to really be you know pack a punch to it and i think they all do and the shark tank it's just like a such a different um prisoner atmosphere because we had like all season long we had a guy locked up so they had to do something very different than the the armory. And here you have this mysterious science underwater station and just from the very beginning. And, and Jack, I mean, Jack makes the worst prisoner. He's so stubborn <laughs> and annoying, but it's kind of funny. And, and I'm, it's like true to his character. I think these scenes are very simple, but it uh, there's some really good character stuff that happens here. Do you guys like the whole glass divider uh, thing and the chains and like <laughs> banging on the glass? I, and... I know, I know, I did. I don't. I okay. Uh... I, I, I I I I sorry, I was muted. I liked it. I thought it was so funny. <laughs> I I I um I liked the interaction between Jack and Juliet through the divider you know one of them was here's what you're gonna do i'm gonna bring you some food and you're gonna sit with your back against the wall and you're not gonna get up and because you need to eat because you're gonna dehydrate and then the other one when when he says he says so what you just bring people grilled cheese she said no i didn't make it i just put the toothpicks in it i just (laughs) i love that just just her little quip moments is what really i think i really love about juliet and uh, but yeah, I, I did like the I did like the setting and the scene of this movie. I mean, of this episode. And, uh, to me, it gave it had a little bit of a, um, you know, like a Hannibal, you know, what what was it, Silence of the Lambs kind of vibe. Obviously, the the characters are a little different, but that whole the the whole glass imprisonment area just kind of reminded me of silence of the i don't think it was glass but it just reminded me of you know bringing food to to the prisoner i thought that was kind of interesting um and i definitely did enjoy the back and forth between them um i love when jack was being defiant with you know which was most of the 
episode until he finally started telling us the truth. But like, I love the whole re I'm a repo man, you know, comment kind of, you know, just he's in, he's in a spot where he's a prisoner and he, you know, he really tries not to, you know, give in to them. Um, and, you know, then we kind of see where she kind of starts getting to him. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's such a simple mind game. And I don't know if this was, intentional by ben or juliet but there's another way they could have set this up to feed him but i think it's deliberate to screw with him they want all we need to, all we need you to do is just sit down on the ground let us bring this food in and then leave it and right. but it's a way of of finding control over him for him to give in to give up and juliet tries to convince him you know it's not about giving up but there is this symbolic nature to it and jack knows that and he doesn't want to give in because like in the end they're tr they do try to break him they have a goal here and and they did yeah and that's and and that's the thing is that jack is very controlling and we see that from for, from the flashbacks when we talk about his flashbacks in a little bit is that you know jack is extremely controlling and this is his way of breaking that control and realizing he's not the one in charge. He's not the one in control all the time. And, and even that little moment, like you said, Corey, of him just sitting against the wall, that one time where he finally just does it without, without fighting, without trying to cut Juliet with a piece of plate is, is him giving up control, realizing he, he can't win right now. And, um, that's what they needed was that was that little sliver to get to get to get their foot in the door on him and the, and they'll have him. Yeah, and another note I was just going to make that's kind of cool with this whole season is it's really bookended with these underwater stations which is a interesting you know, I don't know, obviously it's deliberate but uh, I don't know if there's any deep meaning behind it, but we start underwater in the shark tank. Um, I don't remember what, you know, this is the Hydra station. Yeah. And then the season ends underwater in the looking glass station. So there's this cool, dun, dun, dun. Um, you know, it begins, it ends where it begins, you know, type of uh, thing with, with that. Uh, yeah. Jack goes pretty and gets really intense here. He just, Knocks down Juliet, gets the shard of, you know, the glass plate and is basically ready to, you know, drown the station. He doesn't, he doesn't realize what's going to happen. But that's a pretty tense moment. And we get an idea of what Ben a lot of this episode is is getting um, getting to know what Ben will do and like what he's capable of. And he basically says, yeah, go ahead. You can kill Juliet because she's going to die if you open the door anyways. Uh, pretty <laughs> brutal moment for Juliet there. Which the way, some yeah, of this I mean, stuff really adds, you know, some of this really does add to the conflict that we later learn about between Ben and Juliet. Well, I, I agree with that. And, and, you know, when you talk about flooding the station, I will say, number one, Juliet's got a heck of a right hook um, <laughs> on Jack. And number two, <laughs> yeah, Let's talk about that flooding because Ben shut the door on Juliet. And <laughs> for yeah. somebody for somebody he is obsessed with, let's use the word obsessed, 
He he didn't too feel too bad about letting her drown. Yeah, well, I, mean, I, I think I, I think that definitely stuck with Juliet. Like I think that you know really you know we get that scene later where they kind of walk by each other, and uh, to me, I, I I felt like Juliet was kind of taken aback by him doing that. I mean, I think you could logically figure out that you know he can't he really doesn't want Jack to drown. So, you know, Juliet might know how to, you know, fix the problem so that, you know, they don't all drown. I mean, but I think Juliet was pretty shaken by the fact that Ben did that. Yeah. Yeah, and I think Ben will try to play it off like, oh, yeah, this was like part of the plan to deceive Jack. But Juliet certainly has her own ideas, too, about Ben. So and then basically the episode ends with, you know, Jack gets to a point, you know, she takes out the the file, right? She's got the whole file, every every bit of information on Jack. <laughs> he, you know, he's not really a repo man, mm-hmm. and he's got, you know, she has some information about uh, his ex wife. And at this point, does does Jack? He just what does he ask? It's just if if she's happy, right? Or yeah. something like that. Yeah. So he he does finally seem to be at a point where he has kind of let it go, because that's kind of the story of the episode for Jack's personal mission here is just can he let that go? And and then we it tries to correlate that to the you know story with him being imprisoned there. We do have a direct connection, though. I mean, I guess I think Stephen probably has a lot of interesting ideas about this. The broken intercom. That is kind of the direct tie-in from flashback to present day. Because sometimes the flashback and the present day storyline don't like completely align. But this one, you hear Christian's voice over the intercom saying, let it go, Jack. And now Juliet says, hey, with this drug we gave you, if you don't eat or drink, you're going to be dehydrated and then you're going to hallucinate. So it kind of messes with the audience like, OK, was Jack hallucinating when he heard that or was it or did something actually was that actually, uh, you know, someone's voice? Was that the man in black, the smoke monster? What, what do you guys what do you guys think? Yeah, I mean, I think I'd probably lean towards the the hallucin, you know, the being dehydrated kind of explanation for it. Um, obviously, there, I mean, there's a lot of kind of unexplained things that happen on this island, and you certainly can attribute them to, you know, the man in black. But I, I think that they probably do give you that explanation of the, you know, hallucinating to kind of explain it away. Yeah, I, I think, yeah, I, I think part of it was hallucination and I think part of it was dehydration. So. So for once, it wasn't actually the man in black. <laughs> yes, it was not man in black. Again, I said, I said part of it was, was part of the hallucination and the dehydration. The rest of it was a man in black, but, uh, I'm trying to trying to think. I, I lost my train of thought here. Um, so let's. I guess did we already answer? I had this one question. What was your guys's? Do you guys remember 
what was your first impression of Juliet when you watched this episode? You know, bef- not knowing that she is going to become, you know, a good guy, quote unquote. I think I already said mine. I thought she was pretty deceptive. I didn't trust her at all. Yeah, I mean, I think I felt the same way, you know, pretty much, you know, for the next season and a half, I kind of always wondered what side she was on, you know, even when she, you know, escapes with our with our group of people. I mean, I still kind of always was skeptical of her, you know, maybe all the way up until, you know, the, you know, her when she gets with Sawyer. So, I mean. I, I definitely always kind of assumed the worst of her, probably. Well, I enjoyed the character, but I, I think I, I did kind of... She did always seem like she was up to something. Yeah, that's probably... That's that's pretty fair. <laughs> yeah, well, so I, we probably had... Sounds like we had a similar... Well, take. I... Okay, maybe this is going to be... I'm going to play... I'm going to play the opposite of this, because I don't, I don't think it was... And the reason I say I don't think it was is because um, I was never taken back by Juliet. I never had any sneaking suspicions of Juliet because that moment where she breaks down in front of the mirror, it shows me that something else is at play here, not just n- not just what she's trying to do, but there's something else at play that she's not happy. So I wasn't I wasn't really as much taken back with and I wasn't really caught off guard. Like I always knew she was she was good because something was bothering her. So I don't know. I, I never had that that sneaking suspicion. Personally. Yeah. <clears throat> well, this, so, yeah, she does. She has great performance. She kind of plays it both ways. And in the end, she has, like, a nice moment. Jack, like, right, he eats uh, the sandwich. And then, you know, he goes, or she goes out, and Ben is like, good job, Juliet. Mwahahaha. So it leaves us on that mm-hmm. cliffhanger. <laughs> <laughs> so since we're talking about, since we're talking about um, flat, uh, Jack, let's talk about Jack's flashbacks. Uh, what, what did you guys think about oh, seeing man. Jack in this moment? <laughs> oh Lord, yeah, this this was rough. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad we didn't start with this because it's 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 a little depressing. It's hard to, to watch. And I would say I don't know what you guys think, but this this could be Jack at a, at his lowest here. I think a lot of people would say, oh, but like what about uh, through the looking glass? You know, after you know that flashback, we we has the beard and he's on all the drugs. That, like, he's crazy, but, like, you can write that off a little bit because of, like, the whole experience he had on the island. This, like, he's losing it, and it is a divorce. Like, of course, divorces are hard, but, like, he's at a it's a bad spot for Jack. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I agree. I think this is definitely the low point of the series for Jack. Um, Season three in general was was a rough one for Jack. I mean, yeah. we in the same in the same season, you know, not to jump ahead here, we're gonna get this episode, we get the the tattoo episode that everyone hates, and then you know, and we get obviously through the looking glass where he's, you know, in a pretty bad spot. So so flashback Jack in season three had a had a rough year. 
But to me, this I agree, Corey. This was the worst. Um, just because it was, just, yeah, just so obsessive and uncomfortable and just crazy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he was he was acting crazy, and the, all the stuff with with his ex wife was just hard to watch. Um, obviously, the stuff with his dad was was pretty was pretty tough too. You know, why would you? Yeah assume that you, I mean, I know he's got some daddy issues, but to assume that, that that's the man that your wife is, you know, left you for was a bit of a stretch, I think. Um, and yeah, Jack was just all around from, from the very beginning, stalking her at her school is just everything about this backstory was uncomfortable. Yo, that stalking at the school was probably the most uncomfortable scene um, to me in this episode out of all of them. Like he's just sitting there just watching her and this guy. And the whole time in his flashback, all he wants is his name. He, remember, he wants control. And all he wants is his name. He, said, he even told her, he said, you can have the house. You can have the cars. You can have, you can have anything you want. I just want the name of the guy. I mean, why would you? Well, yeah, like, why would you be asking for that information if you didn't have some ill intentions? Like, like if if you were his wife, you know, his ex-wife being asked for that information, you would have to assume that that he meant some harm to to that man. I I don't see how else you could take that. Well, to defend Jack a little bit here, I'll say. He could just be genuinely curious. He wants to know who this guy is. And yeah, maybe it's a it's reasonable for Sarah to be afraid <laughs> that he would do something. But I, I don't think Jack would actually attack this guy. I think Jack just I think he really does want to know who the guy is. Um, and is that just to satisfy some, you know, thing that's eating eating him alive? Like. Yeah, and he really shouldn't need to know. Like, yeah, I get his curiosity, but he's got to be able to, you know, just well, I, I, not get that. I mean, I think one of the, the troubling things, too, is that they were actually at the divorce lawyer's office. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when he finally breaks down and tells her why he wants it, you know, it's, I, I want to know the name of the man who's with my wife. And it's like. No, dude, like, she's not your wife anymore. You know, it may not be finalized, but, you know, you don't you don't own her. And that I could certainly see how that would come across to her is, you know, very scary behavior. I mean, every scene was bad for Jack in this episode. (laughs) Every flashback scene was bad. Yeah. Yeah. He and and the problem is it does. Like you said, it doesn't get any worse and and i mean any better throughout the entire season like you're just going to see jack just like fall and fall and fall and fall so i mean it is i mean a a lot of people point to the stranger in a strange land as as the the low point but to me that you know that that flashback wasn't great, but to me this was a lot harder to watch. You know, like 
this made Jack look a lot worse than Stranger in a Strange Land, which didn't make him look great, but this was a lot worse. So I'll I'll agree with that. This is worse for him personally, but I do think there's some good storytelling here, even though it is hard to watch. That I think, like it sucks to see who's supposed to be like a good character, a heroic character, just act like such you know, just this angry you know, in some ways despicable you know, uh, in a lot of these scenes. But we do get to see like how broken Jack was, how lost he was before, uh, you know, and why he was such a broken person before coming to the island. And I think the more interesting stuff with this episode is actually with Christian, because this is this this would be I mean, I don't know if it's good, but you could say this is kind of a good uh, Christian flashback. And I think a lot of people may forget about this, like you actually see. And it makes Jack's story more tragic. You see that Christian has started to put his life back together. He has 50 days of sobriety. And you can just tell in the first scene or the scene where he walks in and Jack is making all these calls from uh, Sarah's phone, uh, phone, you know, cell phone records that Christian, I don't know if it's with the makeup or whatever. He looks healthier. He looks just he's not as tired. He he is the one who has it put together and Jack is the one who's losing it, where in other episodes it's framed the opposite because he's always always drunk. And then you, you figure out, yeah, he's in AA and he's doing a lot better. And Jack has become so paranoid yeah. and he figures out that Sarah had reached out a couple times to Christian, probably for looking out for Jack because she's worried about him. And then Jack breaks, busts in there and disrupts the whole AA meeting. And I think one of the more underrated tragic moments underrated, I don't know if that's the right word, but like maybe overlooked tragic moments of loss for any character is this whole series, like domestic, like this crazy moment where Jack pushes his dad uh, and they have this, this kind of fight. It drives his dad back to alcohol. And his dad is, is, you know, drunk as a skunk when he calls Sarah. And ultimately, you know, then, you know, Shep or uh, he Christian dies from basically his problem with alcoholism. I mean, now it's not Jack's fault, but it is really tragic seeing Jack's actions, direct actions, push his dad back to drinking. So I think you get the other side of it because a lot of times you feel bad for Jack and you feel like Christian is to blame. But here you can really see how Jack is obviously the one fault with everything. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, we saw before his mom, you know, Jack's mom told him, you know, this is your fault. And, you know, we always took that to mean because, you know, because he turned him in um, or got him fired from his job. But, you know, she could have been referring to this, too. You know, that it, it, there was more than, you know, what we knew of, you know, why Jack, you know, he clearly did feel responsible for what happened to his dad yeah and and kind of like you said Corey, this is what kind of drove christian shepherd toward australia and this is this is kind of what drove christian to his death was was jack but i will say i really wanted to see that fight 
Um, and I'm really upset we didn't get to see that <laughs> fight between Jack and Christian in this movie. <laughs> like, I wanted to see the fight. I wanted to see the police pulling pulling Jack on Christian. I really wanted to see that for some reason, but they didn't show it. <laughs> well, so. Fortunately, no. But we do eventually get Jack fighting uh, the smoke monster, so that's kind of, uh, you know, like the sequel. There. Uh, well, he's already, well, he's already hit lock once, so... Um, all right, we need to talk about one more area that we haven't talked about yet, if you guys are done with this one. And that is Sawyer and Kate. Yeah, this was, yeah, we saved a, a fun one for the end here. Well, I don't know, fun, but. <laughs> well, There's some weird I, I, scenes. Go, go ahead. Yeah, no, I, I think it was interesting that we got to see, you know, we le- we left these three characters with, with bags on their head in the finale and we get to see what happened to all three of them. And it was so different on, you know, the way they handled these three characters was all, you know, so different from each other. The whole scene with Ben on the beach and Kate, I mean, that, that is, you know, it's so foreboding, you know, the, you know, it starts out like such a nice scene and then we get the, you know, the next two weeks are going to, you know, are going to be, you know, very bad or very hard for you. I forget what he said, but, uh, you know, we we start off with the weird sh- the shower scene. You know, Kate wakes up on the ground and, you know, Tom tells her to take a shower. Uh, <laughs> I, you know, it, it's, it's kind of funny. This is, you know, the first time we. We find out or get the inclination, you know, that that Tom, you know, may be gay. He's as far as I know, he's the only gay character in Lost. And this is kind of the first um, first time we see that, that, you know, we'll find out later in the show. That's true. So, yeah, it's kind of a yeah. funny moment, you know, funny. I'm moment not, there. You're, you're not you're my not, type, Kate. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but you can certainly see, you know, how uncomfortable she is in this situation. And then. I don't know about you guys. I got a real Alice in Wonderland vibe from this when she gets out of the shower and, yeah. you know, her clothes are gone and the whole wear this, you know, that that's just a, you know, kind of a weird situation. Cause, you know, we we all know when when the, there's a sign that tells you to do something, you, you don't want to do that thing. Um, but she didn't really have another option because her clothes were gone. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of interesting influences you can kind of see on this episode or this storyline maybe almost like kind of a horror element to like you know being captured by these people and it kind of reminded me of like maybe like the, the wicker man like some sort of like cult like where, where there's like a weird cult you know on an island and like you're their prisoner <laughs> like you don't know what to ex- like are they gonna be nice nice cult people that just try to like make me join or are they going to kill me and you know do bad thing you know so it's, it's just these weird vibes and then on the beach, I think this is the closest we get to Ben being like a Bond villain because then it feels like you know how in every like a lot of the Bond movies, like the the female lead, she'll get captured and then they'll have some like weird uh, like meal like on the like there's like a romantic meal and there's a lot of yep. like symbolism in the dialogue. This was like that scene where and he makes her put the handcuffs on. 
So, uh, which I don't think we end up getting the Ben who is like the Bond villain type vibe later on, but like definitely in this scene, I I could I uh, couldn't help but think of that. Do you guys like oh, yeah. the the beach scene? I think it's cool. Like I think the handcuffs are probably the most um, one of the the bigger points uh, because you know for handcuffs to Kate are it's like the wheelchair to lock. It's a symbol of their past and it's like a symbol of something they are trying to get away from so that when that physical you know object is put in one of those characters stories it always is a little more meaningful so and as we learned with jack and juliet you know the others know these characters you know past so he obviously knows kate has been a prisoner so you know him asking her to do that has to be deliberate yeah. You know, in an attempt to, to you know, kind of break her down while at the same time, you know, do, you know, giving her this kind of picturesque breakfast on the beach. I, it's it's definitely a unique scene that, that you remember. Um, we never really see this little beachside hut again. I I don't know exactly where this is. I mean, I guess it's on Hydra Island, but we, ne- we never see it again, I think kind of a cool little set piece but yeah i like this i i think the only time they come back i don't know if it's the same beach but they do have that little funeral thing but it might be a different area but uh yeah we don't really see this whole this side of ben as much uh again but it's it's basically him trying to screw with her head he's just trying to play mind games he's got he's got his chessboard set up and he's moving the pieces around and I like the scene. I do think the final line is a little corny, to be honest. Like, it's all this build up, and then he just says, You're going to have a very unpleasant two weeks, which is, it's good. I think at the time, I probably thought, like, Oh, like, whoa, that sounds really intense. But then, like, looking back, it's not as uh, impactful because there's not really a whole lot of juicy information in that, in that scene. But I still think it, it serves its purpose. I, I, I love the line and it always makes me cringe when I see when I hear this line where 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 Ben says, you know, I, I wanted you, you know, when, when she asked, why am I here? Why am I wearing this dress? You know, why why do you feed me breakfast? And his responses were, I want to make sure you were, you know, I wanted to give you some food. I wanted you to feel like a lady and I wanted you to enjoy a wonderful view because, you know, the next two weeks are going to be very unpleasant for you and i wanted you to have something to hold on good to hold on to that line always makes me cringe like because <laughs> the very next time time you the very next time you see julie uh not julia but kate where is she at in the cages in the cages the so speaking Dude. of the cages we're about an hour in this and we have yet to mention sawyer yeah sawyer's got a good little little uh, couple scenes here yeah. He's with our other new character of the episode. Yeah, yeah. Carl. Carl. Yes. <laughs> Carl finally made his appearance, and Carl finally screwed everything up. <laughs> oh. Uh, you know, he got who, hit by a walker. Watch out. Right. We're, 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 who we're, knew we're, how important Carl was going to be when we met him? in this cage what a what a major character carl would be for the for the rest of the show <laughs> what do you mean, <laughs> you mean for, like 
<laughs> half a dozen episodes. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> well, he makes it through the season, right? Yeah, he makes it for a while, actually. Yeah, he does make it a while. <laughs> yeah, he has a weird uh, introduction. He doesn't even turn around and acknowledge Sawyer until Sawyer presses the the fish biscuit button a couple times, and he he tries to warn him, save him from the electric shock, but nonetheless, uh, Sawyer (laughs) uh, presses it anyways, gets his shock, and so yeah, basically, Sawyer's little uh, story arc is is trying to to get the fish biscuit out. But I gotta say, the the payoff to that was, was so good, though, with the, you know, he you know, he dances around victorious and he's so happy he figured out this contraption. And then then we get Tom telling him ah, the Bears figured it out in two hours. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I love that line. It's such a good line. And then, he, and then he's like, how many Bears were there? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How many were there? It's just one guy. I had to throw my shoe. <laughs> but I got to say, what is the fish biscuit? Because it looks like a dog treat. Are we all just, are we already to the point that we're eating bear treats on the, like, are they that hungry that you're going to eat this fish biscuit? That did not look appetizing. I don't know. I mean, it's no ketchup on eggs, but. Well, when you're hungry, you're going to eat whatever you can. It's got to have some nutritional value, right? I would think so. I, I suppose. I mean, it looked better than the kibble. I'll give them that. Yeah. You know, the, uh, well, you know I, I think that you can eat some pet foods. I think from my experience watching TV, uh, like in Walking Dead, don't they eat like some pet food and stuff? And then I've, I've actually. I'm sure you can, hungry. but it, just, it feels you're like hungry, you got to be hungry. feels like you got to be pretty desperate at that point. And that is. I yeah. don't know that he's been there long enough to be to that point yet, but I guess. Uh, I guess well, he, yeah. I well, they, he's been. Maybe he's been. They were, you know, going through the jungle for a day or two, and now they've been prisoner for a day or two, maybe. You know, he might have worked up an appetite. Yeah. Uh, all that yelling, probably he was doing. I think at least he got uh, some water though from 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 the old rusty <laughs> pipe. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think that was kind of. I think that's the the best part of that is the water, the the fish biscuit. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if I would eat that, but I, I, then he he gives he gives the fish biscuit to Kate. Kate, so it, she eats it too. Okay, after that she just had this, yes. this nice breakfast in the morning. She neglected the nice breakfast. That coffee looked so good. Mm-hmm. Is it? There's a bottle of Dharma ketchup there, and. Instead, she he's like just doesn't eat the breakfast. It doesn't seem like, and then she has to eat the fish biscuit. Like no, look, Sawyer should have been you know eating the fish biscuit. She should have still been full from all and the bacon and eggs. All, and then she acts all innocent where she kind of like covers her mouth like, oh man, I can't believe you're watching me eat. I'm like, really? You just had like probably ketchup on your eggs at the beach. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Unless you're Steven, then you just skip the eggs entirely and went straight straight for the bacon because you don't like eggs. <laughs> well, I was just say I've also been I've been rewatching some old uh, Survivor seasons, and there's a couple times where they resort to eating chicken feed because they kill all the the chick like they eat their chickens and then they just eat, which that seems pretty pretty gross too. So, but apparently you know you must be able to get hungry enough to eat chicken feed or a fish biscuit or whatever. But I've never 
taken a bite of a dog treat <laughs> myself. <laughs> I haven't. <laughs> I know some oh. people have. Though. <laughs> Just, oh my goodness. <laughs> some people are curious. <laughs> Too curious. Oh my. Well, Anything I, else? I mean, what, I mean, what was Carl's plan here? He was just going to, like, run off? Or did he want Sawyer to be a diversion? Yes. That's that's exactly, I think, think what, he, what, he, what he was there for. I think that's why he told Sawyer, you run that way. Because he knew that that's where the people were, were coming, where they would come from. That's why Juliet found Sawyer. I wish we but, had more information on Carl. Yeah, go ahead, Stephen. The, the one thing I thought was interesting was he was asking Sawyer about his people. Like, he was wanting to know if he could escape to Sawyer's people. But Carl is a member of the, the, you know, the others or whatever he would call them. Does he not know he's on a different island? Like, to me, it seemed weird. Like, where is they're They're not on the same island with Sawyer's friends. So, like, how did, did he? I mean, I guess did they, did they have a boat hidden? Because I think Alex had a boat at some point. So, I mean, yes. Was he? Was he planning on taking the boat on there? It seems like he should know that they were on a separate island. And maybe maybe I just answered my own question with the boat thing. <laughs> I, I think he knows. I think he's just trying to figure out how far once he gets back. And Carl looks like he'd be a pretty good swimmer. So he might be able to make that swim. Oh, yeah. Maybe not, though. It's a long ways. It, it seems like... When Ben shows Sawyer where they're at, Sawyer's a pretty good swimmer, as we've seen. So Sawyer, you know, didn't consider swimming. So to me, for Carl to think he could make that swim would be unlikely. Well, Sawyer's a good swimmer, but he only swims in jeans. So yes. that's one of his <laughs> jeans or no shoes and shirtless. Yeah, I guess. Well, I guess he swam in the nude once, too. <laughs> that is true. Oh, and we definitely start seeing the um, the feelings between Kate and Sawyer um, in this in this toward the end. You kind of see it. And honestly, I always thought this pairing between Kate, even though I like Sawyer and Juliet, I thought the pairing of Kate and Sawyer was so much more easier to swallow than Kate and Jack. Like it just didn't seem like Kate and Jack ever really clicked. Um, but it always clicked better when it was Sawyer and Kate. Well. I mean, I, I think Sawyer definitely uh, did some good acting there. You know, when when Kate comes in to the cage, you know, you, you can really see the, the concern he has for her. I thought it was kind of nice. You know, he makes, you know, he gets a little flirtatious about the dress. But then when she says, you know, they made me wear it, you could tell that he, like, legitimately feels bad that he made that joke and, you know. He kind of knows she's gone through something here, and he—you can really see the concern he has for her on his face. I—I I think that that both of those actors did a really good job in that scene. Absolutely. And and they don't know what these people are capable of, and they don't know how far they're willing to go. What Ben will allow his lackeys to do. So I think there's a lot of concern um, from Sawyer about you know, what, what they do to Kate when, when uh, he's not around. So yeah, their, their relationship changes because the concern is more real than just your basic jungle politics back at the beach. Mm -hmm. I know there's, I know there's real danger back at the beach too, but this is a lot more intense. Yeah. 
and they realize that they're all on their own because they have no idea where Jack is. They have no idea if they're going to get out. They have no idea when they're going to get food. So they realize that they have to have each other. Like they can't, they can't play politics right now. Mm-hmm. So it was good. Well, guys, I think that was a pretty thorough review of, uh, <laughs> of that episode. So, um, if there's nothing else, we can go ahead to our in memoriam section, which is, um, <laughs> Yeah, Carl's escape memoriam. attempt. In memoriam is Carl's escape attempt. That lasted very well. Oh. Okay, not the uh, best escape. You need the smoke monster for for a good escape from the cages. Right, and Locke and Locke's actually up the beach right now, so he can't really help. Um, <laughs> so Stephen, <laughs> what is our rating system today, man? All right, looks like we're gonna rate this one out of uh, one out through twenty three. Um, Sawyer's fish biscuit attempts. Mm. Yeah, hopefully he didn't actually make 23 attempts because that'd be a lot of. I know, I know. On the he got shocked. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Mike, what what would you give this episode? I'm gonna give it 19 out of 23 Sawyer fish biscuit attempts. Uh, I thought it was a good way to kind of introduce some things, introduce a introduce a couple, well not really a couple, but yeah, introduce a couple new characters, um, good character dynamics between the pairings that they had, um, and I think it was a, it, it was, I just think it was really good. So 19 out of 23. All right, Corey, how about you? Well, I'm going to be a bit of a copycat here and go 19 out of 23 as well. Uh, 19 out of 23 uh, Sawyer's Fish Biscuit attempts. Uh, Yeah, I I like this episode. I think that the flashback can be frustrating to watch. And a bit of heartbreaking, too, I think, especially at the end. But overall, I I think it's a good episode. Again, I think these locations are so cool. And I think there's a lot of credit uh, deserves to go to, like, these all these cool places that we get to visit right away and it's still very fresh in this episode i know that maybe after six or so episodes like some of these areas get a little old uh but still i think it's just it's a fun whole different uh feel they come out kind of hot on this episode and jack jack's story is pretty good i mean it's not crazy he's just a prisoner but so yeah pretty good steven what about you all right. I gave this one just a little bit lower. I gave this one a 17 out of 23. Um, I really like the opening. I mean, I, I think that the opening was great. But, I, you know, not a bad rating, but I mostly because of the backstory. That, no, you know, it wasn't a bad backstory. It was just – it wasn't fun to watch. It was hard to watch. Um, the Ellen Island stuff was, was pretty good. Um, I mean, I – I think it was kind of, I remember when watching it that I was a little disappointed we didn't get anything, you know, about the rest of the fallout from what happened. We just found out what happened to these three characters. But I remember being a little disappointed by that when I first watched it. But I, the the highlight was definitely the, the cold the cold open there with Juliet. Look at you with the cold open. Yeah, that 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 is for some reason I, I kept thinking uh, make your own kind of music was going to come up and that wasn't it. <laughs> yeah, I don't know why. It seemed it, it seemed like it would have fit there too. This was uh, uh the downtown song, right? Yeah. Always go downtown, yeah. which it, also correlates to a Seinfeld episode. So. <laughs> 
they they do they I will say they they do such a good job of picking kind of obscure songs that that make you you know feel a certain way or kind of get you into the scene you know the the Desmond stuff in the Hatch last year the downtown here they they really do a good job of picking this music like I mean I don't know how they do it but but I thought this was a pretty good one. Uh, yeah, I thought it was good. That was good. All right, to end things off here, let's kind of move into this section for just a little bit. Uh, there's no unanswered questions really that we get in this episode. Um, we have a couple of names from the Sawyer's Name Dictionary. He's Carl. He called Carl Chachi. Uh, and we have another freckle count. So we're now up to fourteen freckle counts. Good job, Sawyer. As far as pop culture connections go, um. This title itself is A Tale of Two Cities, which is a book written by Charles Dickens. It's the second reference to Dickens in the series. The other was Our Mutual Friend, obviously Desmond. Uh, Moonlight Serenade, this song recorded by the Glenn Miller Orchestra, plays on Jack's car radio while he is watching Sarah at her school. This is the same song Hurley and Sawyer pick up on the radio in The Long Con. That's a, that's a fun little, little fact Tidbit. there. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder if he was picking up that 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 said it. I wonder if Hurley and Saeed were picking up that song playing at that time <laughs> on the island. Because remember, the sound waves, as Saeed said, travel can take time. They can be quick. They can be <laughs> take long. Just saying, and it is an island that moves through time, anyways. Um, Carrie was the novel by Stephen King that was discussed by the book club. Uh, downtown that was mentioned just a second ago is a song by Petulia Clark is 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 played by Juliet. Um, gonna kind of skip the rest of that stuff. Uh, the Thunderer. This 1889 march by John Phillips uh, Souza plays when Sawyer is rewarded with a fish biscuit. Good job, Sawyer. Um, Sawyer cars Carl Chachi, which is a reference to Happy Days and Joni Loves Chachi, which were TV shows that aired between 1974 and 84. Uh, this is your life is a show that is Juliet references when revealing that she knows about Jack's life. Uh, Tom and Ben both do a very subtle namaste style bow. Tom does it in the shower room when he tells Kate that she's not his type, and Ben does it at the very end when he tells Juliet that she did a good job. Uh, the Bible. This religious book is on the bookshelf in Jack's office. Other books seen on Jack's bookshelf include Dark Horse, Valhalla Rising, Harry Potter, and the Prisoner of Azkaban, which was, <laughs> by the way, the best movie slash book, and Dirty Work. I I just can't see Jack sitting down and reading Harry Potter. I don't know why. I just don't see that happening. I don't know. Maybe if he did, he would calm down a little bit. Jeez. Like, <laughs> yeah. That's what he needs. He needs to get into a book series. He just needs to binge Harry Potter. Something. Oh, Jack my. needs a hobby. He needs a hobby. He needs to get obsessed. He needs a show like Lost to get obsessed about because <laughs> – he can't handle his own life in this flashback. Oh, uh, my Or goodness. maybe he should read that Bible. <laughs> <laughs> maybe that'll help him a little bit better. <laughs> uh, well, anyways, uh, we talked about how th- we don't get to check in on the beach survivors in this episode. And our next episode is going to be the Glass Ballerina. And the reason I mentioned that is because 
this is going to be one that follows Jin and Sun and uh, Saeed. And I really don't think we get much. We maybe get a little bit, but we don't get much from the beach crew again. So like this season really, especially early on, separates the chunks of characters it's focusing on, which was frustrating to people when they had to watch and wait a week and wait a week. And then there's a rerun, wait a week. But uh, for the binge cases, you know, for nowadays, it doesn't really matter. But anyways, this is an interesting episode, a Jin and Sun episode, The Glass Ballerina. Looking forward to that one. We get uh, a little more four-toed statue. Do we? I mean, do they go buy it again? I'm not sure. Um, we we pick up where they left off in the in the boat. And I think we will get more of Jack and Kate and Sawyer as well. Might be a lot going on in this episode. Yeah, I, I'm. I look. All I'm gonna say is I'm just so looking forward to digging into season three. I mean, I, if I didn't have to go to bed here in a second because it's getting late i would completely watch the next like five episodes if i could um but man we get let's see we get some we get some saeed action in the next one um of course some Jin and son obviously some more kate for, Sawyer. for those who for those who aren't watching which is everyone except steven and i uh, <laughs> Mike is currently flipping through the I really am. lost, the booklet. lost. <laughs> like he's got let the me, season three DVD. Uh, let me, you know, let me just read it. So in episode two, Saeed will search for a location for another signal fire, but his plan could have fatal consequences for Jin and son reunited. And it feels so good. Kate and Sawyer begin hatching a plot to escape from the others. And Ben makes Jack an intriguing offer. And he has an interesting presentation to back it up. Those pamphlets are one of the coolest parts of those DVD sets. And they usually have like a little theme to it. Yeah, and I think the first season, it's like uh, supposed to be like the pamphlet, the safety pamphlet from your airplane. Yep. And I was so mad. I used to loan my DVD sets out to all these people because I was like spreading the good word of loss to everyone. <laughs> and one time I got it back and I didn't have that, that sleeve in. I was so bummed out. I was trying to figure out who lost it, and everybody's like, "No, I don't think it was there." Like, I don't. <laughs> nobody knew who had it. So, well, season 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 two's pamphlet for Lost was uh, a, a Dharma handbook. Oh, okay, yeah. Case, and this one is just a a, yeah, a like, Hydra thing, right? Uh, like an electric. Yeah, it's kind of like it's kind of like an unexplored. What they say, unexplored experience, guys. It's kind of like a Hydra the Hydra logo on the front. So. And, you know, anyways, we're going to talk about it. We'll talk about that a little bit more. <laughs> we're just kind of rambling on now. <laughs> it was fun. I, I'm watching the video. I can see Mike. And he's, like, genuinely nerding out and excited over the, over really his like box set. So, like, to me, that's always one of the greatest joys is, like, seeing someone, like, genuinely, like, so excited about Lost. And, like, I, I, still I, I today. It's, it, is, it, is my, it is my number one favorite show of all time. And, and – I have probably watched these DVDs at least five times through the season, the series. I just, I, I love the show. Oh, well, at least. <laughs> I mean, watching entertainment has gotten easier over the year with all the streaming. I do got to say, we, we've lost a little something. The, the joy of watching a show and then having to wait a few months till the DVD set came out so we could rewatch it again. I mean... There's there's some enjoyment in the weight and the experience that that people just don't get these days with you know just binging a show. You know? And yeah, and 
Go ahead. I was just going to say that that's how it was. You know, when, when, when me and my wife first got married, you know, she had never seen Lost, and I pushed her so hard to watch this show. I said, you really <laughs> need to watch it. You really need to watch it. And, I, of course, I had all the DVDs. I had all, all six seasons. And, and I said, you really need to watch the show. And we got married in 2010, so the season six, like, just finished. And uh, I had the DVDs. I said, you really need to watch. She said, all right. She said, I'll, I'll, I'll watch one episode. And and that's it. I'll just I'll give you that. And so she watched the pilot. And as soon as she finished the pilot episode, she said, all right, put the next episode on. <laughs> and, then, and then we'd watch like six in a row. And it's like 1130 at night. She says, I really need to go to bed. But I really want to watch another one. So we ended up going to bed and we we, we burned through the whole show all over again. And 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 since then, every time I've mentioned a show for her to watch, she's actually loved it. So I got her to watch The Office. I got her um, to watch a couple other shows. But uh, but yeah. So yeah, there, there's something about actually having the DVDs. Also, each DVD has like a different character's face on it, which is always kind of fun. Oh, yes. I would put in the Saeed disc now, and then this this one and first one is Locke and Jack the second one is just like Sawyer and Kate I don't know yeah you get to stare at that artwork all the time you know getting to hold it and eh, it's kind of fun so like, like legit yeah. am then it's got Nikki and Paulo on the back because you know you can't have season three without <laughs> Nikki and Paulo hey, well the best part is like if you fall asleep with one one of those discs in like it'll end it'll stop after four episodes but if you fall asleep while you're like streaming something on your computer Sometimes you wake up and it's like you're in like season five or something like what the <laughs> right. heck like why I, did it keep playing this all night long? <laughs> I, I can't tell you how many times I've woken up with the, with one of the DVD screens of Lost on there. You know, it kind of just plays the the music, the kind yeah. of jungle music in the background, and just over yeah. and over again. And I've woken up to that many times. Yeah, what were those weird dreams I was having? <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> the jungle music. <laughs> and and I've got all those sound soundtracks on CD too, man. That's great. I love it. I love it. All right. Well, we really need to close out here. So we had a great ending discussion, guys. It's been fun. It's been real. I really enjoyed it. And um, but we will be back next time with season three, episode two, the Glass Ballerina. So uh, until next time, everybody. I'm Mike. That's Corey and Stephen. Have a good one, guys. Peace out. Have a good one.